0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. If you have your copy of God's Word, we encourage you to open with me to the book of First Corinthians. First Corinthians will begin in chapter two, and we're gonna be there for just a few minutes and go to chapter 11, uh, and we'll be there for just a few minutes before we celebrate communion together. Uh, we need to say a word of congratulations today Uh, You were led in worship through song today by a newly engaged man. Ethan is now engaged to Emily, And uh, we're we're so thankful to have Ethan here, a servant of God. And uh, now thankful to have Emily with us as well and look forward to to serving together. But uh, in this book that we're walking through... The gospel is central. Um, Let me just step back for a minute. I'll I'll tell my age uh, quickly, but uh, anybody remember the days of VCRs? What? What's a VCR? (laughs) Do you remember remember when, when video stores started to pop up? here and there, and, and most homes at that time didn't have VCRs in them, and so you had to actually go to the store and, and not only rent a video, but you could rent the VCR. Remember that? Now, I remember this as a kid. It was a great treat. My dad didn't want to do it. He never really wanted to do it, but we would occasionally talk him into it. We'd go and we'd lay the money on the table. We'd find some couple of movies, and you could rent them you know, pretty cheap back then, and we'd walk out with not only these big boxes of movies, there would be this thing strapped over your shoulder, this big padded bag, and it had the VCR in it, and you'd bring this thing home, and on top of that, that console television, you know, in the living room, you know, with the, with the gold velour couch, you know, you'd, you'd pull the console TV out, and you'd take this thing out of the bag, and you'd try to find the hookups, and it never really was all that simple, but then all of a sudden, you got it hooked up, and you'd hit the eject button, and, and this thing would, like, pop out of the top. Remember that? Uh, and, and you take this tape out of the box, you know, and you, you slide this videotape in, and, and close the thing back down. That's we've come a long way since then, have we? We've come a long way since then. Uh, shortly after that, it kind of spiraled, and, and video stores were and became the rage, and, and uh, little mom and pop video stores went from being mom and pop video stores to suddenly there were companies like Blockbuster movie gallery and these, these companies started popping up everywhere and then DVDs came along and Blu-ray came along and you saw these big box stores, blockbuster movie gallery all over the country. And then several years ago, probably a decade or so ago, uh, for the first time this little vending machine came out. It was a red box. And it took a while to catch on. You say a decade ago, it's not been a decade. Probably has been a decade since this little red box came out. You can see these things pop up outside of drug stores and grocery stores. It's red box. And no longer did you have to go into this big place, this big building. Now you can simply park the car by the curb, get out, go and look through the movies on a screen, swipe your car, and just spit the DVD or the Blu-ray out of this vending machine. Now we've gone beyond that to to things like Netflix and, and I don't know, I'm, I'm just getting the language that I cannot speak and the technology that I, I'm just not comfortable with. But we can drive to go anywhere to get movies. Well, I share that story with you because Blockbuster is a company that at one time was one of the biggest, most successful companies in America. Their stores were everywhere. But now you look around the landscape and and even here in the upstate of South Carolina, you'll occasionally run across a building sitting empty because it used to be a blockbuster, but no one goes to the store anymore, anymore to rent movies. I share that with you because it's important for us to realize that blockbuster... Struggles today, they are looping along, trying to catch up with Redbox and other venues because they forgot, they lost track of who they were and the business that they were in. They went from being a business that was about putting movies into homes to a business that was about building buildings so that people would come to them. This book, 1 Corinthians, at least this first little bit, entire Bible, at least this first chapter or two of 1 Corinthians, is a reminder to us as a congregation that we are in the business of bringing people to Christ, not bringing them to a building. We are in the, in the business of preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of what the world thinks of it. We must remember this. And so we have an opportunity today to to preach the sermon. I say this most every time we celebrate communion together, is that I will preach a brief sermon, but we will finish the sermon together. You will preach the sermon today as we celebrate this Lord's Supper, this um, ordinance together as a church. But before we do, I want to walk through this next little section and review a little bit of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 before we look at the Lord's Supper together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Read along with me as I walk through verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read and stop along the way and just explain some things uh, before we head on. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. The reason that Paul here says, And I is because he's just spent most of the first chapter, from verse 18 forward, explaining to them that, yes, the world around you thinks that the gospel, this message of the gospel is foolish, and they are right, because it is foolishness to the one who is perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is life, it is the power and wisdom of God. And he turns and he says that the message itself sounds like foolishness, unless the Spirit of God breaks in your life. And then he goes to them, last week we looked at, he he says, not just the message itself, but you, your very existence as a congregation. The very fact that you today are a church. Not many of you were were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were wealthy or well-born or powerful. Not many of you were in that situation. But God came to you, the things that were foolish, the things that were weak, the things that were nothing, so that he could bring the things that are to nothing. And he points to them and says, you yourselves are a testimony that, that the foolishness of God is, is wiser than the, foolish, than the wisdom of man. That the weakness of God is stronger than the power of the world." Then he goes and he comes right here and he says, and I. It's a humble statement from Paul. And he, he says to them, I'm not just pointing to the message and I'm not just pointing to you. He's just called them weak and Unwise. He called them foolish. And he's saying, I'm not just calling you this. Look at me. I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. The wisdom of the world, he says. He, he, he said, you, you know how I came. You know with what preaching I came. You know how at times my words were tripped over. They didn't flow like they should. You know how at times I was, I was trembling. Look at, look at the rest of this passage. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And what Paul means there is Paul's not saying that I've written off all other areas of truth. I've written off all other areas of knowledge. I'm not writing off... Uh, just, he's not just simply writing off uh, science and, and mathematics and all those things. But he's saying... The way I decided to know Christ and him crucified makes the knowing of any other knowledge seem like ignorance. He says, this is what I held up to you more than any other thing. I held up the gospel in the same way that Jesus said, "If a man wants to come after me, he must hate his father and mother and brothers and sisters." Jesus was not there telling them that they literally had to hate father, mother, brothers and sisters. But that they had to love him with such a devotion that it made that love seem like hate. And Paul here says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear. And much trembling my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I would echo the, the statements and words of Paul here today to tell you that, that there are times when, when, uh, when, when I walk away from doing a sermon and, and I know, I know that the Spirit of God, the anointing, it just, it just felt easy and it just flowed. But I, I want you to know, you need to know that I'm well aware also that there are times when I stink it up. I walk away and I beat myself up and I think, boy... I should have said this differently. I should have said that. I I could have said this in another way. Or why didn't I bring this to the forefront? And in reality, what Paul is saying is that the human vessel is always going to be flawed. There are going to be better preachers, much better preachers that you will listen to, but you will never hear a better gospel. The gospel is what we must stand on, Paul is saying. And I would echo his sentiments exactly. And that's why we come to this, what we're doing this morning, coming to the Lord's table, celebrating this, that Jesus, before he was crucified, the night before he was arrested and crucified, that he sat down with his disciples and broke bread with them, and poured the, the cup of wine with them, and said, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood poured out for you. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still doing this. And I'm well aware. The reason why I want to take some time and and explain this this morning is because I'm well aware that for many of you, you understand the Lord's Supper. You've been celebrating the Lord's Supper for most of your lives. There are some of you that have been in church uh, since you were in your mother's womb. And you were there every time the doors were open. And so you've been through this time and time and time and time again. But maybe you need a fresh understanding or a reminder of what we're doing here. I'm also well aware that there are people in this room that have not been in church since you were in your mother's womb. Church is a new thing to you. You've you've not been in church. You've not been around church people. And you come in and do something like this, a ceremony. And it just feels very ceremonial. And you wonder, what is the deal with this, this, these little things of bread? What's the deal with these little cups? Could they not afford bigger cups? You know, you're, you're thinking things like that. And you're wondering, what, what, is, what, is, what does this do? What does this become? Does this become something? Is this literally the body and the blood of Christ? You're wondering, maybe you're thinking all these questions. So today I I want to just take some time and walk through and explain to you what we do when we do the Lord's Supper. Now for some of you this will sound familiar because I've done this before. It's been a while. But I don't want to be guilty of simply leading us through dead, cold religion. I want there to be vibrancy in life in what we do. I want there to be authenticity in the way that we carry out church. So, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I told you when I started the book of 1 Corinthians that this was a book that I was nervous about because of what all it would cover. And so far, largely what we've covered is simply just the gospel. But this gives us a clue as to what Paul was dealing with. In fact, let me back up, go to chapter 11, but let's begin reading in verse 17. And, and just listen to what Paul was dealing with in a church where they had a grave misunderstanding or an intentional misunderstanding of what the Lord's Supper is to be. Verse 17 of chapter 11 says, For in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. He's writing to a church that's very divided. They were, they were drawing lines down the middle of the congregation, choosing sides. They were lining up behind their own teachers. And when that translates into when we do something like this, it becomes not a family event, but it's very, very, very divided. He says, I don't commend you in this. And I believe in part, believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. It wasn't just that they were divided; they were coming together and they were eating the Lord's supper, which was a much bigger spread than what we have here. And, uh, and they were they were eating and getting full and getting drunk on the Lord's supper, while there were those in the congregation who were going without and had nothing. There was no care for their brother or their sister. There was no trying to outdo one another in showing honor. So Paul says, "I cannot any into this." So this. Lest this become the case here. I don't think this is the case here. There's none of us who are going to get drunk off this because this is not real wine. This is great juice. There's none of us who are going to get full off this because there are little big pieces of bread. But we can become divided. And we can become selfish and narcissistic. And so the Lord's Supper is a good reminder. And I want to walk through and show you what we do when we do the Lord's Supper. Verse 23. First thing that we're doing when we come together around the Lord's table is to remember what Christ has done. There's no no prescription. We're talking about this at the end of the close of the membership class this morning. There is no prescription in the Bible as to to how often we should do this. There is no prescription as to who who should distribute these elements. There are some churches where only deacons or only ordained men distribute the illness. There are some churches where we do like we do, where you come to a table and you partake. There are some churches where you come and and the priest himself will will lay it in your mouth. There are churches that do it all sorts of ways, but the Bible never prescribes any of that. What, What Jesus here says is that's not the important part. What is important is that when you do it, You're remembering what it is. You're remembering that that the the bread symbolizes his body. For three years, or more than for 30 years, he lived this perfectly righteous, obedient life. Can you imagine going through childhood perfectly obedient? Those of you who are parents, can you imagine children who go through childhood perfectly obedient? We can't do that. But Jesus lives this. Perfectly obedient life. Going through his teen years. Going through his early adult years. And coming to the age of 30. Even at the age of 33 when he was crucified. Never having never having sinned. Being perfect. Being perfectly righteous. And don't forget. This is the God of the universe. Who has always existed as the second member of the Trinity. And condescended himself. To come into the gutters of humanity. This is, we sometimes think this is a privileged existence. Not if you're God. If you're God put on flesh and lived life as a human, it is not a privilege. It is is suffering. The Bible teaches that He was tempted in all ways that we are tempted. That He endured all the weaknesses that, that we endure. But He did it without sin. He perfectly obeyed and perfectly revealed God. Not only that, but when he's 33 years old, he's arrested for crimes that he did not commit. He's ran through a mock trial. He is beaten, whipped, had the flesh ripped from his back, crown of thorns pressed into his head, mocked and made fun of, taken to a cross. It was meant for sinners and criminals. And he knew no sin. And he willingly laid down and let them nail those spikes through his hand and his feet. They raised him up and dropped him in the hole with a thud. And for all of those hours on that day, hung there, perfectly fulfilling the will of his Father. Praying the night before, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. But instead of pushing the cup away, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. The cup close, and drinks down to the very dregs every little grainy bit of the wrath for the sins of all who would ever believe he drank it all there at Calvary three days later after they placed him in the tomb the stone was rolled away he just rolled away that stone and the tomb is empty because the Messiah was truly the Messiah That Christ was not just simply some crazy man, some nut that claimed to be something that he wasn't. And it all ended badly for him. But instead, the the God of the universe, sitting on his throne in heaven, looks down and is fully pleased with the sacrifice of his son and says, Well done! And calls him out of the tomb. Defeats sin and death once and for all, for all who believe. So when you and I come to this table... When we come to this table and we lift that bread, we're taking by faith, remembering His body that was sacrificed for us, both in living and in dying. We take the juice and we remember His blood that was spilled for us, that coursed through His veins for us. We're remembering what He did. In the same way that Today, we might go to all sorts of memorials, the Vietnam Wall and and others, and we might look at these things and think back about what they represent In the same way we come to this table today as a memorial, a memorial of what our God has done for us and for his glory. Secondly, look at verse 26. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This is the second part of it. Not only are we using this as a memorial, we're remembering what He did, but we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming the Gospel. We're proclaiming what He is doing. We're not saying that the Gospel is something that that is outdated and and it's, it's lacking the power that it once had, but instead we are reaffirming that and we are doubling down on this. And we as a congregation, you as individual members of the body of Christ are saying that there is no other way that I can be saved. There is no other way that I can be made right with God. I will double down on this and I will say that it is still the cross of Christ. It is still his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection that I am clinging to and I am proclaiming this. Not just remembering it, but proclaiming it. There are people that are sitting in these seats right now. And I don't know who you are, but there are people in these seats that you, you don't know this Lord. You don't know Christ. You're not right with God. You are separated from Him because of your sin. You've never turned from your sins and trusted Him alone. I want you to watch today. If that's you, I want you to watch today. Watch these people stand and come to the front and take this bread and take this juice and see and know this is not empty ceremony, but this is them saying, this is the answer. Until he comes again, we are standing on this alone. Watch and see the power of God and the gospel in these, these transformed lives. Look at verses 27 and 28. Whoever therefore eats the bread and, or, or drinks the cup of the Lord is in an unworthy manner... Will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, uh, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Not only is this an opportunity for us to remember what Christ did, or or to proclaim what He is doing, but it's an opportunity, Church, for us to examine ourselves. It's good that we build this into our service every every nine weeks or so. Sometimes that varies. It's good for us to do this regularly. There's no, as I said before, there's no stipulation, no no biblical requirement to say we have to do it nine weeks or once a quarter or any of that. But it's good for us to do this regularly because when we do this, you're intentionally faced with your sin. You're intentionally having to look into your life, to stare into it, and, and ask yourself, Am I following Christ? Can I take this bread and take this cup? in good conscience, knowing that it's not based on me. I'm not basing my salvation on my works. But would it be hypocritical now for me to treat the the cross trite and as a plaything as unimportant as unimportant so that I could live however I want to and then simply go through the motions of this table. We build this into our service. Jesus ordained this for us, so that we would come face to face with our sin regularly, so that we would examine ourselves. And I would encourage you today, trust in Christ alone, but if He is your Savior, then today you are also called to personal holiness. It matters what you think and what you say. It matters how you live, not for your eternity, but because of the reality of the gospel in your life. Those things should be there. And when they're not, there should be conviction that they're not. And use this as an opportunity for you to say, God, would you make these things true of me? Would you forgive me of this area of my life? Would you call this sin and show me this is sin? I was talking with, uh, with Tom before the service, and we were talking about um, these, these things that, that we do. And there, there should be fruit in a, in a person's life. But if there's no no root of the gospel, if we're not by faith trusting in Christ, if there's not been a point where we have been born again and turned from our sin and trusting Christ, then there can be fruit. But in a lot of times, it's going to be plastic fruit that we're just gluing to the the limbs. There's just things out there that we're just doing, trying to earn the approval of, of, of the men and women around us. And maybe some of those things need to be stripped away, and you need to examine yourself and God, would you make me holy? And before you come to the table, would you, would you take an honest look and ask Him to remove sin from your life? I'm calling you to repent. Verses 29 through 32. And this is in the same vein. He continues here. He says in verse 29 For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. There were, in this congregation that Paul is writing to, in the church at Corinth, there were many of them that were becoming sick, and it was, it was sort of epidemic, and some of them had died, and it was, it was kind of unexplainable because they, they probably had been in good health, and there was no real reason why they were becoming sick. And the sickness and the, the dying in this situation, God reveals that he was disciplining them because of the division, because of, of how they were treating the sacrifice of Christ as trite. They were trampling it under their feet. And this is a beautiful thing that God does. There's a seriousness here of of taking the Lord's Supper in a serious way. God disciplines those whom He loves. Those who are His children, He disciplines so that we might come back to Him. And so right now, today, if, if you look at your life and as you're examining that, you say, you know, I believe I'm being disciplined by the Lord for this reason, then don't hesitate. Repent. Don't come to the table and act like everything's okay. Just go through the motions of what could be a religious ceremony for you. Instead, turn your heart back to God and be reconciled with Him. And when we get ready to go into this and we begin to take communion, I'm going to be right up here on this front row. And you don't need a pastor or a priest or anyone else to as a mediator between you and God. But if there is something that you need some guidance on, some counseling on, if you need someone just to pray with you, then I'll be here for that. And I would encourage you in that moment to examine yourself and turn back to God in that moment. And if I can help you with that, I'd love to do so. We'll finish out with verse 33 and then we'll celebrate communion together. Quick sermon this morning, but... uh, the sermon, as I've already said, you're going to preach. Verse 33, so then, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Now, some of you look at this and you say, but wait a minute. Now, we're, we, we're not able to do this because you have us all come to the front and, and we eat at different times. It's a literal interpretation. I think when we come to the table, we're coming as a, as, as a faith family We want you to come to the table intentionally taking a step toward obeying Christ. But you're missing the spirit of what Paul is saying. We are waiting on one another because we have come together, gathered for this moment. It's not as if you are running and jumping in line. We are showing honor to one another and showing unity in this body when we stand as a congregation. And many of you come as, as, as a family. Some of you come as a Bible study class. Come as a small group. You, you come as, as, as friends in this congregation. You come with people on your row. You just look down and you see and, and you say, hey, would you come with us to eat? This is an opportunity for you to show real unity. I've said it before that, that if you look around this room, that we're very different, aren't we? All of us have different, different interests. We have different hobbies and different passions. And some of your passions would bore me to tears. And and you say, well, your passion bores me to tears every week. You know, whatever. We're not all that alike. But by the blood of Christ, by the gospel we've been brought together. And this is Paul's point in this whole book, is that that it's not about lining up behind one person or another. It's not about division or or leaving off of the gospel and, and going to this or that. It is the gospel. It is the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. And in doing so, we demonstrate that there is a family here that is unnatural. It does not happen just by happenstance but that there is a God who has adopted us into his family, all of us, as orphans without hope and without God in the world and brought us near. And now the spirit within us cries out, Ava, to our common father. And this is an opportunity for us to celebrate together as a family of God here at Abner Creek. We display unity and love for one another and love the gospel in this. I want to... Transition to us now going to the table. Um, I want to give you some instructions as we go. Um, The tables are open. The tables is in just a minute, Ethan will come and he will he will play and, and, and music will be playing as we're as we're responding. But don't forget that this is a response to the gospel. That if if you're there and you're not ready, you're sitting in the seat and just because I say, hey, it's now time to come to the table and you're not ready, you've not examined yourself, you're in in bad standing with another brother. Then maybe in this moment, as Ethan is playing, while others are coming through the line, maybe you just need to fall on your face before God. Or maybe there's a brother or a sister in this room or not in this room that you need to reconcile with. But you need to make things right with before coming to this table. This table does not, it doesn't convey any any super spiritual um, um, ability on you. But it is an opportunity for us to remember and to proclaim. So if you're here today and you you need to deal with some things, to examine yourself and deal with those, I'll be here at the front. I would love to receive you. Love to talk with you. Love to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you say, I, "I no condemnation for me in Christ, not only is, am I justified before the Lord, but I've, I'm, I'm close with the Lord. I'm walking with the Lord, I, I, I feel very good about where I am with the Lord, and I will gladly go and remember and proclaim His death and burial His, and, His, and His resurrection. And maybe you just want to go ahead and, and just stand up where you are and just come to the table. Um, I would encourage you that when you're standing, when you're coming, the, the lines probably will form through the aisles. I say this every time. It's not a time for us to talk about the game. It's not a time for us to talk about Marcus Lattimore and, and, uh, and this or that. This is an act of worship where we as a congregation are displaying unity around the gospel. And so I would invite you to come. You can go on either side of the table. You can come to either table. Once you, once you come through the line and, and partake of the Lord's Supper, and we're going to ask you to return to your seats and just join in with the singer to respond in song. Maybe, maybe lifting your hands or maybe singing the, the lyrics of, of the song. Maybe praying quietly where you are. But as God moves, let's, let's celebrate the Lord's Supper in such a way that the gospel is central. That we're remembering what He has done. That we are proclaiming what He is doing in us and in the world. For his own glory. Amen. Let's pray together. And then as after I pray. As you're ready. Come and partake of the Lord's Supper together. Lord Jesus we love you. God thank you so much for, for your life. And your death. And your resurrection. God thank you that, that when we were in our sin. Lost and separated from you. That you didn't leave us there. That instead you came out of heaven. Uh, taking on flesh. Subjecting yourself to the suffering of humanity. God thank you that you didn't push away the cup. But instead you drew the cup close to you. You took it and you drank every bit of it. So that for us who would believe. There is no condemnation for us. That we today as members of your family and members of this church. Might one faith family come and say, there is nothing more important. There is nothing more central. There is nothing for us to move on to. But the gospel is it. God, help us to swing away at this nail for the rest of our lives. God, I pray that you use this time as an opportunity for us to examine ourselves use this as an opportunity for us to love one another, to outdo one another and show honor. And God, that, that would come out of hearts and have been changed by the gospel. Lord, I pray that the people sitting in this room who are, who are lost, who don't know you, who are maybe just looking into this thing of, of Christianity, looking into this thing of God, might see today a faith family that is brought together by something outside of them. God, that they might know that it's the gospel that's brought us together. God, that you might draw men and women to yourself. God, that you would make us a stronger, more unified church as a result of celebrating this today. I pray this in Jesus' name.